Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of February 2nd, 2021, and this is officially episode number 466, and this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. Yes, it's, again, it's February 2nd. It's like Groundhog Day. It's all over again. Feel like it was this just happened. I don't know. Maybe I'm stuck in a loop, like the uh, the movie, good movie. Um, yeah, we'll talk about Phil here in a minute. Uh, tonight we've got eh, a decent bit of news for you tonight. We got some cryptid news. We got a lot of UFO stuff kind of falling behind on the, all those UFO sightings that are popping up all over the place. I don't. Know, people are getting really excited about anything they see in the sky nowadays. I guess, but. Uh, there's usually a rational explanation, but of course that follows after all of the drama on social media because everybody craves attention nowadays, I, I suppose. Um, what would people do without cell phones and social media? I don't know. I, I remember those days, my younger days. Uh, we went outside, we had fun, we did things, we hung out with real people. I don't know, but uh, you know, when the news was just as interesting, but now we're focused on the wrong things, I think. Anyway, uh, so lots of news tonight. Nothing earth-shattering. Uh, I was hoping to have an update on a couple of stories that I talked about last week, but uh, didn't quite happen the way I wanted to. Um, I will mention again, I talked about it last week. I spent a lot of time updating the events listing at paranewsinsider.com. I uh, haven't uh, touched it since I'm kind of afraid to, there's just so much that could happen between now and whenever with uh, all these conferences and conventions that uh, last year, I just, it was a disaster last year with all the cancellations, postponements, uh, some of these events postponed three or four times and then finally rescheduled for this year. We have a, a couple that have already uh, rescheduled they were scheduled early this year that rescheduled for later this year. Uh, we got some that were already canceled for this year. Um, so some of these events may miss two years or longer. So COVID-19 may have a long lasting effect, not only on your lung health, but uh, also on the health of paranormal conferences and conventions for the foreseeable future. But, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that some of these will be able to uh, take place. Uh, but again, you know, we thought the same stuff last year. We thought, hey, it's March. We'll be good to go by April. Uh, and that was not the case last year. And uh, this lingered all year long. And here we are uh, today having to wear masks going out to public. I've been wearing a mask at work for almost a year now. It's coming up on a year pretty soon. And I guess in well, I guess the end of March or something like that. I don't remember, but it's been a while. But, uh, you know, things are going to hopefully slowly change back to, uh, I guess people still call it normal, whatever that was. 
Was that really normal? I don't know. But uh, we're we're headed back in that direction, I believe, slowly and surely. But uh, definitely going to keep an eye on the events. And, uh, you know, I, I said it last week. I said it last time. Uh, be careful if you're going to go to these events, not just because of your health and safety. Obviously, that's uh, that's paramount. So that should be the number one thing you worry about. But uh, also, if you're going to shell out a lot of money for these things, be sure to, to know what the cancellation policy is or the refund policy for these events. Uh, there's quite a few that are kind of getting under my skin the way they've handled these things. Uh, and I, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to put on these things. Believe me, I've done it. Uh, I've helped out with these. Uh, I know a lot of people that have done the same. So I get it. Uh, but you got to have an escape plan for your your customers or you know people will never go to these events again if you take their money to run or don't help them out um yeah just do the right thing and just again be careful uh know what's going to happen with these things and and i think a lot of these owners uh, or uh, operators i don't know what you call them but uh, people that are putting on these shows i think they kind of know from last year kind of how to do things and i think these uh events where they're going to be hosted are, are a little bit more knowledgeable going into this year uh, versus everything being completely new last year. So hopefully things will go a little smoother this year. <sighs> I don't know that it's a pretty thick list. Even in February, there's three events in February, which is uh, unheard of. There was supposed to be four, but uh, one of them got rescheduled. That's a lot. That's just for ghost stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the Dead of Winter Festival takes place uh, this weekend in Alton, Illinois. I'm not sure about, uh, usually that's a pretty packed event. So obviously not going to be packed, probably going to have, uh, I don't know, should probably have a half or less house. I really haven't heard much about that event, but uh, that's your first one really of the year, uh, usually. Um, and it still says it's going on. Dead of, dead of winter, socially distanced. So, yeah, they probably have uh, a few less people than normal. Uh, it's usually the, the kickoff event of the year. So we'll see. Hopefully everyone's safe at that event. And uh, the first few will kind of di dictate how the year is going to go. But, uh, you know, everything depends on the state as well. So you have a lot of states represented here uh, all across the United States. I only do North America, so I don't. Really know what else is happening out there in United Kingdom or, or Australia or anywhere else that don't really – it's stressful enough to do the, the stuff here for this one. Uh, so you guys are on your own in the other countries. Unless somebody wants to help me out, I'll put it up there. I'm fine with that. Uh, the other bit of uh, anomalous notes is uh, I mentioned last week. Uh, the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020. Yes, just when you thought you heard that for the last time, the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020 is available on the official blog of the Paranormal News Insider. And you can get to that at the Paranews Insider website. Right there at the top, you see blog. You click on that. That's the, the latest blog that I've written. Um, and I probably won't get to one for a while. I do have some ideas and Never really got my thoughts coherently put together um, 
for tonight. I was thinking I was going to kind of tease that a little bit and do a little audience survey. I didn't get my uh, – oh, shoot, I don't have my uh, poll page up, which would have helped to launch the talk about that. But anyway, I will cross that bridge uh, when we get it – get, get to it. Uh, I did want to do that. Talk about uh, are there experts in the paranormal? I think we we talked about that before. It was one of the polls, I believe. Uh, yes, it was. Are there experts in the paranormal? And it, it was pretty split. The last time I checked, um, most people said possibly more than half. And the the only other two, so there was yes, no, possibly. And the fourth one was maybe, but probably not. And yes, had 22%, and maybe, but probably not 22. So nobody for no, but possibly let it. And I kind of agree with that. And I was going to kind of hope to talk about that a little bit tonight, because I feared that there wouldn't be a whole lot of news tonight. Uh, there's a decent amount. So we'll see what that leads. But it will pop up later on in the show. It's kind of a theme. It's always a theme, I think. Uh, so did I edit the five shows together? Wow, that'd be a, be a lot. So uh, audibly speaking, I don't think anybody here, including my wife, would ever want to hear me talk for five hours straight. Uh, but uh, I did basically the, the blog is a shortened version of what I talked about on the show. So basically kind of cut that down. It's all, everything's based on the notes that I took uh, for the entire year. It was 200 some odd pages, I think. And I just took all the news stories of each subject matter and I kind of cut it down, took the, the biggest bits and put them into uh, show notes for each week. And then I took those show notes and kind of condensed them down for the blog so people didn't think I wrote uh, a novel like a Stephen King novel there, but uh, it's so it's pretty much based on the show notes, but also includes the bonus. It includes all the links that I did uh, that as well for different uh, aspects of those stories. So some of them are the beginnings of those stories and some of them are maybe solutions or, or different aspects of those shows. So there's a little bit of extra bonus content. Instead of having to listen to me ramble for five hours, you can go on the blog and you can actually click on the links and read about those things. So, um, yeah, I will get around to finishing. I keep pecking at this, so I keep going to this blog thing and keep writing about, are there experts in the paranormal? And it's the reason I chose that topic that I've been teasing. Well, I've been teasing it for a while because it's taken me quite a while to write it. But it's actually a topic that if you ask um, people in the paranormal, you'll get two sides of that. Well, maybe three. Uh, but each of the the ends of yes and no are very very strong. People, some people are very adamant about yes there are, and other people are very adamant that uh, no there can't be. You can't be an expert in the unknown. It's impossible. We don't know anything. How can you be an expert at that? And there, of course, there's also those like myself that are in the middle of that argument. And I feel that uh, there are people who, who can contribute to specific areas of the 
paranormal specific aspects of the paranormal, like mentioned in the chat room, Lloyd Auerbach. Uh, Lloyd was uh, very instrumental to my development and growth. And uh, early on in my, I, I don't know if you'd call it a career, I was trying to think of a different word, my uh, hobbyism, my interest, I guess my interest, and um, I don't know, my, my knowledge of uh, various aspects of the paranormal, paranormal pushed me into, uh, you know, I'd gotten into parapsychology, which is where I heard his name. Uh, a lot of people in the ghost field have heard of him because of his ghost books. And, and, and his early book, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, was uh, monumental to my really understanding, I think, the paranormal in, in a cohesive way other than reading about uh, paranormal journals, which were some of it was really confusing and outdated and uh, really, I don't know, it was just separate from the ghost stuff. It was more of the psi aspect, the mind-to-mind -mind interaction or the uh, psychokinesis and, and different things. So uh, he put things in a way that made it understanding. So I would consider Lloyd Auerbach an expert. Because he's very knowledgeable in the ghost field, but also um, being in parapsychology, teaching parapsychology to people and understanding that aspect, but uh, focusing on the ghost piece, which not all parapsychologists focus on ghosts or survival hypothesis, I probably should say, which I think a lot of people are surprised by that, but it's, it's true. Unfortunately, parapsychologists are a dying breed. And, uh, you know, I agree. Lloyd Auerbach is a pioneer in the field. He is somebody who has paved the way for a lot of people. Uh, probably not as many as ghost hunters or ghost adventurers, unfortunately. Um, but those people don't stick around very long. And people like me who have been around for almost 25 years because of people like Lloyd Auerbach, who's, uh, you know, answered emails and phone calls and uh, put things in perspective and um, continue to write books and continue to give information and continue to teach and train people. Um, do they have those classes? Well, I, I know Lloyd Auerbach teaches every now and again. He'll teach an online course. He's been doing it before it was cool, before COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID, he was doing online courses and classes on parapsychology and ghost research, which again are a little bit different, not always the same thing. Um, so yeah, I think somebody like Lloyd is an expert. I do agree. Um, but uh, your average everyday ghost hunter that's uh, lauded as an expert by the librarian, uh, probably not. Uh, but we'll touch more on that. Well, I'll touch more on that. Now I feel pressure to write this blog. I get this thing going. Uh, so let's jump into news. See if there's any experts out there in the news this week. Well, uh, we knew it was going to happen. A favorite topic I try to avoid, but it always pops up. Or should I say, surfaces. Uh, kicks off our cryptid news for the week. Yes, last year... There were 13 official sightings of the Loch Ness Monster, with just one of which of those 13 happened in the month of January. Uh, they have uh, kind of cold weather over there, 
same as we do here in the United States. So it's not uh, something you want to do and go hang out by the water this time of the year. Uh, 2019 was a record year. Two years ago, there was 18 sightings, which uh, number one of the century for sightings, 18. And again, only one for the month of January. So it's February. It's the month's over. So how many do we have in January? Well, in 2021, there has been three official sightings of the Loch Ness Monster, according to the Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, which is led by Gary Campbell. He's, he's the guy in charge. He's the one that uh, confirms or denies that these are actual Loch Ness Monster sightings. He's, uh, he's in control here. I think he's got the uh, little submarine under control. Um, so, yeah, three official sightings. Kind of came out of nowhere. It's like the last week of the month. All these sightings just kind of came to fruition. I, I didn't even hear anything about it until uh, pretty much all three were splashed across the screen. So all three sightings, uh, I guess, unfortunately, again, it's not like people are out there surfing. Well, they never surf anyway. Or they're not out cruising the lake. Uh, there's not a lot of tourists this time of the year looking for the Loch Ness Monster. So, yes, all three sightings came via the Loch Ness webcam. And two of those sightings, one on January 19th and January 22nd, came from longtime Nessie watcher Ian O'Fadigan. And Ian had the first, uh, I want to say, three sightings last year with two of those. I think all three of them actually were on the webcam. But uh, he wasn't first this year. The first official sighting came from another regular webcam watcher, Kaylin Wangle from Oregon here in the United States. She saw a V-shaped wake in the water, followed by a black shape in the water a few seconds later. Come out of the water. Uh, Ian also claimed to have seen dark objects in the water splashing during his two sightings. Also uh, claimed to see um, these objects come out of the water about two feet or so, which I'm not sure how he measures that. Uh, the webcam... And I've said this in the past. It's uh, I try to watch it every now and again, but I tell you, it's probably the worst, or maybe the best setup in the world because it's uh, it's designed to get a wide shot of the lock. So it's it's a wide expanse of water. It's high up on a hill, so you're very far from the water's edge. It's not like you're right there. Uh, so it feels like you're a mile away from the water. And you really can't see any detail. It's, an, it's impossible pretty much to see exactly what's going on. I mean, really and truly, a boat could go by. You'd probably never even see it. Uh, it's like filming with a greased-up potato on a hill a mile away uh, from the water on a hillside. Or hillside. It's, it's one of the worst cameras possible. But I, I don't know what else you could really do uh, to make that better. Other than multiple angles. Hint, hint said that for like three years uh the secret to the sightings though i think is the fact that that's uh, really ambiguous you really can't see much detail so it adds to that mystery i think um so it doesn't provide you enough data or information or enough details to really see what exactly is going on i think that's the key 
because it keeps the mystery of the monster alive. And even when people are on the banks of Loch Ness or up in the hills looking down, uh, the, the stuff still happens so far away that they really can't make out the detail. And again, I think that's what keeps the legend alive. You know, last week we talked about the uh, the guy, the scientist. I'll just call him the guy, I guess. I don't know about how sciencey this is, but uh, talking about the Loch Ness monster might be a giant turtle. Yeah. Um, no. And the, what the year before it was talked about maybe being a giant eel based on the uh, Otago University DNA research uh, that happened at Loch Ness that uh, said that the majority of DNA came from eels. So it's possible that maybe a giant eel is responsible for a lot of the sightings. And of course, uh, right after that happened, people were reporting giant eels all over the place, uh, eel-like monsters in Loch Ness. So far, uh, no turtle-like objects, but I have a feeling that we might see that this year, uh, although that story kind of fills it out pretty quick. But wow, three sightings already uh, for 2021. We'll see what uh, February brings, but I'm going to get pretty bored if, if all these are just webcam sightings. And if you're interested in checking out not only this year's sightings, but looking back on every year of the Loch Ness Monster sightings, you can go to LochNessSightings.com. And uh, tell Gary I said hello. Actually, he has no idea who I am. Probably not. Anyway, so don't do that. He'll be like, who? Paranews what? Probably. Not just like everyone else does. But I'll throw that link. I always forget to do this. See if that works. There it is. If you're interested, you can see 2021's sightings of the Loch Ness Monster so far. And it seems like we talk about the Loch Ness Monster quite a bit here on the show. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not really a big believer in it. Uh, I love the, the mythology behind it, though. I think it's fantastic because people believe in it no matter what science comes along and says no. I mean, they could drain the lock. Completely drain this all the way down to the to the rocks, and uh, people could walk around and they'd still believe in it. Oh, Nessie's just uh, she's out to see. She'll be back. Um, but one animal that we don't talk about enough, uh, we do talk about it every now and again, a few times a year. It seems like, and passionately, one of the the ones that I I highly believe that uh, may actually still be discovered, an animal that uh, is supposedly extinct. And you might know that uh, one of my favorites is the thylacine. Yes, also known as the Tasmanian tiger there in Australia and, uh, ta of course, Tasmania. Uh, the carnivorous, carnivorous, it's always easy for me to say, carnivorous marsupial, uh, yeah, off and on, been in the news a couple of years ago, it was in the news quite a bit. And lots of sightings take place. It's pretty consistent with the sightings. It's pretty much once a month. Uh, there's um, sightings being posted on, on Facebook or somewhere else. Uh, was it the Thylacine Awareness Group? Uh, they're posting a lot of stuff. I'm still waiting for that documentary that was supposed to come out. I thought it was supposed to come out. Early this year, I've not seen anything about it. I really want to see that. Uh, love to, uh, I mean, I'd love to see Australia. I'd love to go there, but I'd also love to go looking for this guy. 
I think it'd be exciting. So lots of sightings have taken place, uh, again, even recently, uh, let alone over the last uh, 40, 50 years. The, uh, the last living thylacine, it's pretty much agreed, most experts agree that the accidental death of a captive thylacine in the Hobart Zoo back in 1936, that was the last of its kind. Uh, there were some hunted just before that, uh, collected. Uh, they were looked at as a, as a nuisance animal at the turn of the century and really didn't last long. And then you have the kind of the, the Great Depression, which also uh, kind of took over Australia as well. Uh, people were looking for some any kind of meat they could. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, that was uh, part of that as well. Uh, Australia actually has kept records on thylacine sightings despite scientists stating the creature died out. Especially died out in Australia, the mainland. Thought to uh, die out million, or millions, thousands of years ago. Where I got millions from. But yeah, thousands of years ago, uh, according to uh, fossil records and, and uh, different collection methods yeah it's been gone for a while but the people are still reporting it i mean who knows that maybe maybe um thylacine somehow some way uh, hitched around in a boat or they've been hiding out all this time i don't know but uh that's another one with a mystery uh people seeing these sightings maybe they're dingoes maybe they're not uh, maybe they're just loose cats. Maybe they're not. Maybe the thylacines are out there. They're they're kind of a different animal. You know, we tend to compare them here in the United States to like mountain lions or fox, um, but they're very shy animals, and they they're very elusive to begin with. Uh, think of them more of like bobcats. Uh, think of them more of uh, shy bobcats. Very shy bobcats. So uh, you don't. You know, even if they were plentiful in the outback, uh, you you still wouldn't see a whole lot of them, uh, regardless. Um, interestingly, in the news recently, I was really excited to, to read this. Uh, although I'm trying not to get too excited because of it's the fact that it's not peer reviewed, uh, but a scientific paper has been published that states that the thylacine may not have gone extinct back in 1936. Uh, but unfortunately may have only persisted until the 1990s or per perhaps 20 years ago. And uh, yeah, there's a slim margin for excitement that they might just might still be hiding out somewhere. Uh, but uh, perhaps, perhaps not. But uh, this paper, uh, based on a lot of sightings and a lot of uh, statistics that seem a little wishy-washy, uh, but the numbers and sightings all added together uh, weigh in that uh, maybe the thylacine did live until about the 1990s uh, before going completely extinct. And a number of reliable sightings were documented in the 1960s by trappers and bushmen, uh, people who really have uh, uh, no real stake in whether or not the thylacine actually exists or not, but uh, trappers and bushmen reporting these um, pretty matter-of-factly. And then there was also a credible sighting in 1982 by a uh, park ranger. 
which led to an intense localized search for the creature by authorities, which, uh, again, didn't turn up anything. But it gets people excited. So does, despite the seemingly good news, uh, the research still points to the overwhelming probability that the thylacine is extinct despite the continued reports of their existence. But uh, time's still going to tell. You know, I've been saying this for a long time. Um, maybe they're out there. And hopefully we can uh, get verification. I mean, even if they find bones of one that died 10, 20 years ago, I would still be super excited because that would prove that science doesn't always have the answers to everything. And there's hope out there for cryptids like the thylacine. And time will also tell if this uh, paper holds up to peer review based on these findings. And we'll see if anybody responds to this uh, paper. It was published in a, a journal that you don't have to have it peer reviewed. Generally, when you publish, um, you know, you're setting yourself up for other people to, to look at that. And sometimes you don't get published unless you've already done a little bit of peer review for that. But that's what science is about, people to kind of argue and pick at uh, various aspects to uh, say, hey, um, that's not quite accurate or your, your math doesn't add up or uh, those sightings are based on speculation and none of them actually have an outcome. It's just people thinking they saw a thylacine. So how can that factor into anything? Uh, but anyway, still exciting to see the thylacine in the news with new news especially when scientists get involved. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, UFO news this week. There's uh, been a lot of, I don't know, heavy or strong. It's probably not the right word, but uh, UFO sightings that have uh, captivated people in the locality of these sightings. Uh, one of the, uh, we'll talk about, I think I got three here. We'll talk about. So, um, one you might not have heard about didn't really gain a whole lot of traction because it uh, was solved pretty quickly, which I, I enjoy that. Uh, Sunday morning this past weekend, there was a, a little bit of panic as uh, people across Colorado witnessed three objects high in the sky that seemed to be falling from the sky. Uh, the objects were the subject of many live videos on social media with people claiming that they were UFOs invading the state. Now, uh, it did look a little weird, look a little um, out of the ordinary. I guess is a fair phrase to use for that, but uh, um, I don't know. It looked like planes to me when I first saw the uh, the images, and I'll show you. Um, maybe I'll show you in the chat room if you're live in chat. So that's an incentive. I know you probably kick back listening to this, uh, on your waterbed. Do people have waterbeds anywhere? Probably not. I shouldn't have said that. That's just dated myself right there. But, um, maybe just hanging out, relaxing, um, listen to me drone on. Maybe you're watching something in the background on Netflix. I don't know what you're doing, but, uh, get in the chat room. It's a great way to get some extra information about these stories. Sometimes I throw links in there. I mean, I know you know how to use Google. It's not that hard to Google these things, but sometimes the links I give you aren't maybe necessarily the ones that are going to pop up for you. 
Let's see. Uh, here it is. So let me post this picture in there. Hopefully that works. Success is always a good word to see pop up about anything. So yeah, there's that crystal clear. It looks a little blurry, but that's just the way it was filmed. Of course, you know, camera technology isn't always the best with videos. Uh, but these three large objects, it almost looks like comets or debris falling from the sky, which is uh, kind of what a lot of people initially thought, at least the experts uh, so when the story hit the media pretty much Sunday afternoon in Colorado, uh, experts, like they always do, lie, here we go, that word again, experts, uh, people in the know, uh, they lined up to solve the mystery. Stephen Miller, not Steve Miller, not the singer, uh, Stephen Miller, might be his cousin, um, a senior research scientist at the Cooperative Institute for Research in the Atmosphere at Colorado State University. So he suggested that the objects uh, were, in fact, satellites coming to Earth, uh, an uncontrolled breakup of satellites across the sky, uh, which they kind of do. Uh, now, I only watched part of a video. The shaking got me a little car sick. Uh, so I didn't really, well, not really. I just didn't watch the whole thing. I just watched part of it. Um, it could have been. It was awful slow moving, but uh, generally when you see satellites break up, sometimes they are slow moving, especially if they're very large. They're not as fast as meteors, which break up awful quick. Um, the larger ones, you'll you'll hear them, the sonic booms. Uh, but you also hear if satellites are breaking up, you probably hear the sonic booms as well. Uh, so he suggested that these objects were definitely satellites that were breaking up in the atmosphere and making an, an unscheduled re-entry. I mean, again, I don't think he's wrong looking at that. It might have been uh, one thing I would have suggested, but there's always simpler explanations than that. Uh, in one of the videos, the witness uh, stated he felt that the objects were jets at first. So uh, sometimes you got to go with that gut instinct. When you're taking a test and you get that uh, inclination to answer the answer the question, uh, a lot of times you go back, you change your answer, you're going to be wrong. Trust your gut. And that's what that guy should have done as well. Uh, because it ended up being that his uh, assumption uh, turned out to be correct. Uh, not his drama-filled rant about UFOs crashing to Earth or taking over all the pot farms. Uh, the jets were Boeing 17A Globemasters. Big jets. Uh, the three jets were flying in formation over the state while flying from Seattle to South Carolina. And these Globemasters, they fly at a pretty high altitude. So it was a little difficult for people on the ground to take, uh, to get that perspective. I and mean, we're not used to seeing these types of jets. Uh, they have four jet engines on each wing. So it's, uh, well, I guess it's two on each wing. Eh, forget See a picture of it here. Uh, but a photographer managed to take a nice photo of the plane, so probably had a nice uh, actual camera instead of a camera or on his phone. Those things do exist, folks. You don't have to rely on your phone to take pictures for everything out there. Uh, so he took a really nice picture, and if you click on that picture, I guess it's just one on each or two on each wing, so it looks like four. You click on that picture, it'll get a little bit bigger if you're in the chat room. And so, yeah, the 
photographer took a nice zoomed-in picture of these jets very high overhead. And, of course, uh, Stephen Miller quickly added an apology and an explanation that he was just going on the limited information he was given with the basic videos taken, uh, again, without Zoom on cell phones. And I'd say he did okay uh, with that satellite breakup and uh, explanation. It kind of did look like it, but I don't know. I, I learned early on that the simplest explanation is almost always the right one. So, you know, thinking that, you know, that kind of looks like jets flying through the sky. You know, it's usually the simplest explanation. You know, the, the doctors always say, um, when you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras. You know, don't always go with that uh, most unnatural explanation to cure somebody or find uh, what's wrong with somebody. Don't think if you hear hooves that it's a zebra because how often is it going to be a zebra? Probably not often. More often than not, it's just going to be a horse. Or maybe it's somebody dressed up as a horse with shoes that sound like hooves. But probably not, though. You're right. You're right. A um, couple of other UFO sightings in the news. I think the uh, the Charlotte one was a pretty big one. Um, I was waiting for somebody to actually solve that one, and nobody ever did. I thought it was pretty simple. Uh, although I tried to do the research myself and I came up a little short as well, so that's probably why. <clears throat> so the Charlotte, North Carolina uh, UFOs. So this was like a uh, a string of lights in the sky. And a lot of people uh, immediately uh, focused on the fact that these, uh, these lights were flickering. So uh, a lot of people jumped to the conclusion that they were Chinese lanterns, which uh, normally I would agree with. I've seen Chinese lanterns, and they're very uh, deceptive, especially when there's a bunch of them in the sky and they're spread out a little bit. Uh, but uh, no, when I saw this, it didn't look like it to me, not to mention the fact that this happened at 5 o'clock in the morning. So probably not lanterns. I wouldn't completely dismiss that as an idea. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, people were kind of flipping out about this sighting. Uh, how many people are really up at 5 in the morning? I think it was on the weekend, too, wasn't it? Jeez. Uh, but, of course, uh, videos of this, pictures of this were shared on Facebook. And a uh, Facebook uh, page based for uh, UFOs, of course. Uh, so other explanations include uh, flares, which, again, I, yeah, I don't think that that one's accurate either. Uh, the lanterns seem to be probably one of the bigger ones. Drones, because everybody loves flying their drones at 5 o'clock in the morning. And the one that I... Uh, pretty much stuck with is uh, Starlink satellites launched by SpaceX. And a lot of people are under the impression that you have to, uh, the only way to see this stuff is when they launch or when they're, uh, you know, dropped out of the back of the uh, craft that they go up on. And that's not really true. It's not really true. Uh, so I often try to uh, 
look for these guys. It's pretty rare. I've caught them a few times. Never really seen much. Uh, much in the way of a, of a big light show here in the outskirts of Cleveland, Ohio. But uh, you can look online and see when they're scheduled to be seen. However, uh, I've been looking for a site that there was early on, but I can't find it now, uh, that you can look at historical data of Starlink sightings. But there's so many up there now that uh, it happens quite, quite frequently. So there's really no historical data anymore for some odd reason that you can look it up and say, yeah, Starlink satellites would have been seen in the Charlotte, North Carolina area at XX time. Uh, you can't do that. You can predict in the future. You can look and see when they're going to happen. Uh, but the the data apparently isn't saved. So that doesn't help. But uh, that would be my guess if you've seen it. If not, uh, again, if you're in the chat room, I do have a picture, I believe, of that event. Somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. There it is. And... Uh, Pretty interesting. Part of the picture, uh, you see blue in the picture. Uh, for some reason, I don't know, a lot of people were focusing on that. Some of the news stories that happened uh, popped up in the sun. And some other UK uh, newspapers focused on that blue and they said it was a blue UFO. Uh, well, that's an artifact known as lens flare that occurred from the camera. It's a real thing. Look it up. I'm not making it up. But uh, lens flares, uh, you might not see it when you're filming it. But trust me, it's caused from that bright light there, uh, center left, hanging above that tree. That's causing it, the blueness. But the, the focus is actually those dots of light that you see in the background. Uh, definitely a pattern of Starlink satellites if I've ever seen one. Uh, but again, I, don't, I didn't see a video of that, so I don't know how they're moving. But uh, they're not not necessarily going to move in a trail. Uh, they could move sideways or diagonal, but just to see how they were. But from the reactions and descriptions of people, uh, the lights were flickering and then suddenly faded out. That, to me, would indicate the Starlink satellites. So if you know uh, anything about satellites, uh, 5 o'clock in the morning would be a prime time to actually see satellites scintillating in space. Uh, so really reflecting from the sunlight that's still not risen. Yes, the Earth is round. Well, it's not exactly round, but uh, you get the drift. Uh, so as the sun's coming up, we don't see it in the sky yet, but it's still uh, bringing light to the atmosphere. And there's really nothing for the atmosphere to reflect that light down to. So that's why it looks black until a satellite comes along. Or a high-flying rocket or something hits that sunlight, and that light reflects directly down to our eyes, which is, uh, I love satellite hunting, and there's apps for that. You can watch these satellites in space, and they reflect that light down to you. And that's uh, pretty much what I think we're seeing here with these satellites. But they're definitely the space link variety, or the, I'm sorry, the Starlink. I connected SpaceX and Starlink, but... Uh, we should trademark that. Uh, but that's probably what we're seeing since it's a cluster of these satellites kind of drawn out. I don't think there's a big mystery behind it. But again, no way to really uh, back that up or verify it 100%. Unless, unless, unless 
I'm able to film or photograph a verified Starling cluster like that, which is uh, kind of what I'm trying to do soon. But uh, going outside when it's uh, 20 degrees outside, not fun. And it kind of kills your your battery of your phone or your camera uh, fairly quickly. Um, so then we also had, uh, this was a really cheesy one, but I guess I'll talk about this one. Uh, Los Angeles had a, uh, a UFO sighting and you know, it's real cause it's TMZ and they put their watermark logo on the, any picture associated with this. So, um, person driving down the freeway, uh, films this UFO It's gotta be real. I mean, it's, it's California. They don't lie out there. They don't lie. And he was on the 101 last Saturday. It's like, what, a five-lane freeway? Doesn't look like there's many cars out on the freeway. So I uh, took a picture. Um, she, uh, This uh, witness said that uh, she was on her phone. And she saw this thing hovering in the sky, going in the same direction that she was. So she took a picture of it. And shot uh, three consecutive pictures while you're driving down the 101. Not smart, folks. Not something I recommend doing. No matter what you see, pull over if it's that important. Uh, She said it was only visible for a few seconds and then it vanished into thin air. Thin air. Uh, So, strangely enough, there... Photoshop experts said it's not fake. There's no uh, there's no hint that this is done in Photoshop. Uh, I mean, there's ways of researching that. If you have the original file, you can see if it was run through any kind of filter or if it was uh, resaved after it's been run through Photoshop. I don't think these Photoshop experts know that. Um, so they're graphic artists use this image i do well i do have one i'll throw in the chat room gently uh so here so yeah this has been making the rounds people are really excited about this oh yeah here's the tmz watermark thing so yeah morning or evening i don't know is it morning or evening so this this uh object and the, the Kind of stinky thing about this one is uh, there's a to the right of that object looks like a galaxy Uh, to the right of that object is a red dot. And that red dot was a dead giveaway to me. I automatically knew what was happening, but apparently um, it took some other people a little more time to figure it out. Um, These other experts, when I saw I couldn't figure out what it was and I, I was looking at it on my phone at first. Um, the link was shared to me by my boss. Uh, so I had heard about it, but I never really read about it. I just figured automatically it was garbage, but eh, I did a little bit more research into it. And I was kind of curious. I saw this red light. I was like, well, I wonder what that is. And it kind of dawned on me. Now they're pretty much saying that this is genuine. It's not fake. So it's a real light in the sky. However, if you know anything about these types of sightings, you know that there's generally one reason for these things happening, 
And the biggest clue that there's an explanation to this is the fact that they're driving in their car. So think about that. You're filming from inside of your car. And it's dark out. That's the other thing. Not necessarily has to be um, the the biggest factor in this. Because I've seen daylight pictures or daylight videos where this uh, also happened. But you think about it. And again, uh, I wish I would have had the one with the... So there's a red light to the right of this. And basically, and if you look, kind of zoom in, you look. You don't really even have to zoom in. You can kind of tell. Um it's nothing more than a reflection of light inside the vehicle. And I guess maybe she got fooled by the reflection, maybe, or maybe she just took a picture and hoped that you, the viewer, would get uh, faked out by that uh, reflection as well. So, yes, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, experts in the paranormal. And so TMZ's experts of Photoshop failed to find anything wrong with that picture. And, you know, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm just a newsman here. I just read the news to you and I kind of do my own interpretation, but uh, I kind of figured this out. And uh, I went to my trusty expert on UFO videos and UFO uh, stories in general. And he kind of came to that same conclusion. I was very excited to see this uh, as well. Uh, when I started doing some quick research on this, yes, UFO of interest at ufooforinterest.org or at UFO of interest on Twitter. If you're not following UFO of interest on Twitter, you're missing out on some reality of what's really going on in the skies. It's not all unexplainable UFOs. There's a lot of deceit going on. It's, it's not always intentional i think maybe this might have been unintentional uh it was just something that maybe tricked this person because she was driving down the 101 on her phone and didn't really realize what she was saying but yes uh, inside the vehicle sometimes things will reflect on the inside of the windshield and if you take a picture uh and a lot of these stories are generally like well i thought i saw something and i took a picture and then I saw these UFOs. Well, at the time, they didn't see the reflections. So uh, I think that's uh, really a good one here. Uh, that light might be a gauge. Show it looks like in uh, his depiction, it's uh, like a clock, which would be like a... Uh, I believe uh, Chrysler vehicles have the old uh, analog clock in them. Like Chrysler 300s, 200s, uh, those types of vehicles have that analog clock. So I don't know. We'd uh, If I knew what kind of vehicle it was, we can look at the interior and maybe match these lights up at that angle. Uh, I've seen those done before. And generally it does. It works and it proves them wrong. So I don't know. It wasn't a really huge thing, but uh, I saw it gained a little traction after I saw that news story. Yeah, speedometer. I agree. More than likely. Could be. Very well. I've actually seen one that uh, you could actually match. You could tell that it was uh, like a tachometer. That you could see the red. And they actually matched the parts with the picture. Uh, the dashboard is pretty cool. 
uh, pretty cut and dry. But I think this would be um, pretty cut and dry, too. It's obviously the interior of the vehicle, but ah, so much for UFOs abducting people in California. Wouldn't that be the worst story in the world? Well, maybe the worst story of the year so far. I don't know. This one is uh, pushing to be in the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2021 for sure. Uh, unfortunately, I was really hoping to have a follow-up on this. I was at work today looking for updates. I did everything short of calling um, calling Oklahoma to find out what's going on. So last week we had the story of the Oklahoma representative Justin Humphrey who proposed a Bigfoot hunting season along with a $25,000 bounty for bringing back a body. Of course, he says he claims he wanted it alive. I, I don't know about that. You're hunting for something, but you're going to bring it back alive. I don't know. And he swears it's just to generate attention and money and that he's not a believer in the creature. And, of course, I talked about his character last week. He's uh, got some really weird beliefs. And, uh, yeah, he's a little bit of a believer in some other fringy things out there. Uh, so in addition to the House Bill 1648, which is the, the thing for Bigfoot, they were supposed to be back yesterday. And I was hoping that by today we'd hear if this bill was – uh, push through or not. I don't see it happening. But I like closure. And unfortunately, you know, the beginning of this made for big news, but, it, you know, if it's not, if it's struck down, no one's going to care other than me. I'll sleep better at night knowing, trust me, I'll be up late tonight tossing and turning, thinking about this. Did it actually pass? Will it pass? Are they debating on this? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, Humphrey also helped put together another bill called House Bill 1653. <sighs> this one's about vaccines. The bill states in part, quote, any designer or manufacturer of a vaccine shall notify distributors, retailers, and healthcare providers if the vaccine contains human parts animal parts, metals in any quantity, tracking devices, or any DNA-altering properties, unquote. That's an actual law he wants to push into effect in the state of Oklahoma. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the bill isn't centered. It's not really necessary uh, necessarily centered on COVID-19 vaccines specifically. Uh, but it does carry the general cries of anti-vaxxers, if you've heard any of that stuff, uh, which includes being tracked, having your DNA permanently altered, or being injected with uh, aborted fetal cells. Where that idea came from. Of course, uh, you know, the tracking devices jumped out at me. But yeah, human parts or animal parts. And, of course, none of these claims are remotely true, although uh, a large and, I don't know, maybe growing, you know, conspiracy theorists kind of group uh, believes that. I don't know if it's growing. 
Yeah, maybe it's not. I think people are kind of seeing how silly that sounds. But anyway, commenting on COVID-19 in general, uh, Humphrey said, quote, first, we must establish that China developed this virus. It was designed to infect overweight, diabetic, elderly people who have low immune systems. Where are the majority of overweight, diabetic people found? Oklahoma. No, actually, he didn't say Oklahoma. He said that would be America. Unquote. Uh, so I don't, I mean, gosh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> and uh, of course, let's not even talk about the $2.6 million or more in the hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, I think it's chloroquine, never could pronounce that, Hydro, hydroxychloroquine, man, it's a long word, uh, that the state purchased in April of last year. That's the thing that uh, President Trump took, right? Uh, he urged the state to uh, buy all that because it was going to be the cure to COVID-19, and they wanted to be first in line. And, of course, it turned out to uh, not really be effective at, at all. Uh, so this story, if anything, is a, a great example of why you need to get out and vote. Get out there and vote. Uh, speaking of voting, last story of the night. Uh, we don't get a say in this unless you're in the inner sanctum. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil. Yes, today is February 2nd. Uh, it's pretty rare that the show is actually on February 2nd. But it's weird because I, I swear it's happened a few times. Three or four times. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil, of course, if you don't know who that is, he's a giant rat. that gets yanked out of the ground and predicts whether or not we're going to have uh, an early spring or continued snow. Well, he is a rat. Uh, he, yeah, he likes to make our lives a little bit more miserable. As, of course, this morning, the furry prognosticator predicted six more weeks of winter. And again, well, he didn't. He didn't mumble this. He didn't say this. He didn't write, scratch it on a piece of paper or in the dirt. No, his handlers said this um and i was fortunate to visit uh, i've shared stuff in the past about this i was fortunate to visit gobbler's knob the actual meeting location just outside of punxsutawney where uh throngs of people gather it's like a packed house i was there there was nobody else there except the people i was there with uh punxsutawney phil he was uh, back in punxsutawney downtown in the center of town in town square uh, sleeping it off. Is it in the library? I think it was in the library. Sleeping uh, in his little cage. I mean, it's got a lot of work to do for 10 seconds a year. I mean, 10 seconds a year. That's all this, this little thing works. That's all he does. He sleeps all year long and, and wakes up for 10 seconds on February 2nd in the morning. And he, uh, he just guesses. He sees the shadow. Yeah, snow. No shadow. Yeah, spring. Put on the bikini and go out. Uh, so, yeah, 10 seconds a year. One, think, one thinks that he would be very, very good at his job. That's all you had to do. I mean, you got a 50-50 chance, pretty much. And uh, you kind of 
see, you know, kind of gauge that. Um, you'd think he'd be pretty good. But if you look at the statistics, I'm not going to get too far into it because uh, we're about wrapped up here tonight. Uh, but Punxsutawney Phil, he's right about 39% of the time or 36% of the time. It depends on which weather agency you ask. I mean, which is kind of ironic because they're always right, right? Uh, Phil has predicted 103 forecasts for an ongoing winter and only 17 for an early spring. Boy, what an upbeat rat he is. Uh, thanks, Phil. Thanks. Uh, anyway, that's your news for this week, February 2nd, 2021. And for that, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the wood, the hair standing on the back of your neck. You might need a haircut at this point. Get a COVID cut. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, I need a haircut. Don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.